If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. A pond is one of the very best things you can do for wildlife in your garden. Even a container pond will bring a host of species to your outside space. But if you dig one and make sure it has lots of lovely shallows, you'll create a portal into a whole new world that has such magnificent things in it. Hello, I'm Kate Bradbury. And today I'm talking to zoologist, author and public speaker, Jules Howard. I met Jules many years ago when I was staff writer for BBC Gardener's World magazine and he was working for the charity Frog Life, for whom we are both now patrons. There isn't anyone else in the world I would rather chat ponds with. So sit back and relax while Jules and I geek out on our watery wonderlands. Uh, my pond is, uh, it's not what people often imagine. People, I think people would go, oh yeah, Jules, he's got this giant pond and it's beautiful. And there's a pond dipping area and this sort of stuff. Um, the truth is we don't really have a very big backyard space. And so we have, uh, just as you walk into the front door, just imagine you're looking at a nice little white front door to the left. There's a, uh, it's about half the size of a bathtub maybe two-thirds the size of a bathtub not as deep obviously and perhaps we'll talk about why um and uh, it gets sun only in spring and summer uh, l- late spring actually because of the, the house sort of overshadowing it but it's beautiful and it's like it's the reason i love it is because every single time i come in the house or leave the house or we have visitors to the house or the postman comes in there's this nice little opportunity to sort of talk about the pond and look at the pond and sort of connect really with nature it's it's, it's it's a little bit like, you know, you must feel the same when you've got a bird feeder near where you wash up. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like a bird, a giant bird feeder for frogs. Um, but no, I love it. It's it's my sort of uh, backyard happy place. Oh. <laughs> and do you get do you get frogs and toads in it, or is it too shady? Yeah, no, it's um, it's always got frogs in over the summer. 
Um, and it's kind of raised up, but I've sort of arranged the flower beds into a kind of like small stairs, if you like, so they can get in and out really, really easily. So there's always frogs um, there in the summer keeping cool. Uh, every About once every three years, I'll get a blob of frogs, frogs born from, uh, you know, a really like um, intrepid, daring pair of frogs that have thought, let's give this one a try, even though there's no sun in spring properly. Um, but no, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, 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 I suppose its strength is that because it's raised up a bit, it does get that bit more sunlight. Um, so when it kicks off, it really does grow incredibly fast, uh, incredibly fast, and does really, really, really well. Hey, listen, how's your pond going? How's my pond going? My pond um, is absolutely chock full of duckweeds at the moment. Um, Do you find them and... ugly? I mean, like we, we both, you and I have both done lots of stuff for. Um, uh, Hampton Court and spoke to thousands of people about ponds and, and their pond uh, triumphs and their pond woes. And, you know, duckweed comes up quite a lot. So what's your feeling on duckweed? It does. My feeling on duckweeds, I mean, um, I'm supposed to be interviewing you here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you Go my on, feeling on you said duckweed. we were going to geek think, out, so let's geek out, right, come on. Let's geek, all right, let's geek out. Okay, so, so the um, duckweed, I think it's all right in small doses, but when it grows and grows and grows and gets really thick it does get a bit annoying but my problem is is that I keep trying to take it out and you and you you know you scoop it out with a net or whatever and even though I'm really careful and I scoop it out into a bucket of water and then I swallow that, that water around I still get tadpoles and I, I kill tadpoles I have killed tadpoles removing duckweed from my pond and so I'm not prepared to do it and so I haven't worked out this magical way of clearing the duckweed while ensuring that every single tadpole is okay. And so therefore, I have to leave the duckweed until all the tadpoles have turned into frogs. I feel your pain. And I think a lot of people feel your pain. And um, definitely, because as you say, sometimes they, they can get sort of tangled in it. Same with blanket weed, you know, a lot of yeah, removing can, that. Like, literally be wrapped around mm. in the blanket weed. I've, um, I don't, the solution, well, it's not really a solution, but I've started just using my hands. <laughs> and the reason <laughs> is just because like you can get, you know, a handful of it. Obviously, you, your pond's much larger than mine. And most people wouldn't necessarily be able to do this. But with the smaller pond, you can just reach across. And then with your hands gently, I'll have a little feel of, you know as i'm as i'm sort of putting it into the compost bin i'm sort of doing it with my thumb and fingers and sort of gently feeling as i go um i know that's not for everyone's taste because there's things like flatworms and possibly leeches and things like that but you know i've I, i've i've started doing that because as you say it's so sort of frustrating and then you just sort of let them drip off your fingers back into the water um yeah i mean i do do that sometimes but it would be I'd, it would be about 500 trips but maybe i should just start maybe i should just do 10 trips to the pond a day and just and just and just do it um the other thing about my pond is that um i stupidly thought it would be cool to let the wildflower meadow grow all around it so you can't actually get to the edge of the <laughs> pond which is something i'm changing next year but i'm moving my meadow into the front garden so this year i'm having to let my meadow seed so that i can take the seeds into the front garden so then next year i can have Less, less, less herbage, shall we say, around the edge of the pond, so I can actually get to it. But that is kind of good. I mean, in some ways, that's the most natural way for a pond, you know. So, in, 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 well, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think in that, that obviously really good cover, and it means a lot of those frogs will stick around, won't they, in that long grass um, throughout the rest of they the do. summer. Um, they do, but I can't see the pond. 
ever. <laughs> and I can't get to it to remove the pond weed. There's a balance. I don't think I've struck that balance, Jules. <laughs> but your pond's... What, how old's your pond now? Three years, four years? Mm-hmm. So it seems to have taken really nicely and taken really well. I've got more frogs than... It's it, it's ridiculous how many how much frogs. I mean, you've seen the pictures, haven't you? There was so much frog spawn. Um, I mean, I put this pond in the middle of the garden, which was... I sometimes regret that, but I know why I did it. And it's because I, I charted where the sun fell early in the morning and the really most sensible place to put the pond, it was still really shady in the morning. And I was like, I'm just going to see if the frogs will come to the sunny bit. So the, the pond is basically in the middle of the garden um, and the frogs love it because it gets the morning sun. So, um, and they're so clever. They 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 spawn in the, the shallowest, sunniest bit, which is what the books say, obviously, but... And and you can see why because when it freezes over, that's the bit that melts first because the sun comes in. So they're just protecting their, their 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 spawn. But the spawn was so thick that the pigeons were using it as a as a bridge to cross over the <laughs> pond. They were walking on the frog spawn to get to the other side of the pond. So that's how much frog spawn there was. And they filled up one shallow end completely. Birds, the little birds, couldn't even bathe in there anymore. And then they started on the other side. So I mean, it's it's yeah. There's a lot of frogs. And then weirdly, I got toads in um, who were peeping, but they didn't they didn't breed. So I think I just had male toads. Wow. Which is really odd. Where do you think your so big, big pond is then? Where are those toads coming from? I would love to see toads in our pond, but we just don't seem to have a, you know, you want that breeding population of toads within, you know, some people say a mile, don't they? But like even 500 metres would be good. But, you know, so you must have toads around. I've got toads around because I get quite large adult toads coming in sometimes. Um, and then what I noticed was, obviously, of, as, as a fellow amphibian obsessive, you will understand this, is that in spring I would go out every night with a torch and every toad I found was um, heading in the direction of the alley onto the street. So I was like, okay, they're not going to spawn in my pond. They're going to spawn somewhere else. Where is this? And then when I heard the peeping of these young male toads in my pond, I could hear peeping, I think, about four doors down. Um, and there's a garden with a um, a mixed native hedge in the front. And I think if, if there's, if there's going to be a toad pond anywhere around here, it's probably going to be in the one with the mixed native hedge. Um, and I keep meaning to sort of bump into the people and introduce myself and ask them if they've got ponds and <laughs> find other people to geek out with. But I haven't, I haven't managed it yet. But um, yeah, so that's my pond. It's very overgrown, but completely adored by um, all things amphibian, apart from newts. I was going to say newts because often you notice, don't you? In the fir- in in a lot of ways, your pond is like the tip, the classic sort of typical new pond. You know, there's new place in town, frogs move in, wild parties, wild parties, wild parties, and then sort of often you get smooth newts, don't you? Or or sometimes palmates. Sort of you haven't seen any of those yet. No, there's been in. no newts. So I think that's probably why all the pond, all the frogs have abandoned all the other ponds in the area and they've come to mine. And it's only a matter of time before the newts find where they've gone. And then we have a bit of a, a bit of an evening out of numbers, shall we say? So basically, the frogs frogs come to your garden. They're like, "Hey, it's Kate Bradbury. Yeah, yeah, come as well. Yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in." <laughs> and the newts are there five years later, like Kate. Oh, Kate Bradbury. Oh, in we go. Uh, um, here we go. This let's is, but, let's but, eat some tadpoles. But the the um the thing that I love about this, and I, I've I've felt like this since the. You know, as you mentioned, we both got an affiliation with Frog Life and I used to work on that, as you know. In fact, that's how we met on the Frog Helpline at 
uh, all those years ago. But I, I, speaking to people who had questions about their frogs, I just used to get the idea there was some sort of frog characters and there were certain personalities, if you like, of frogs. And I've, I've kind of held on to that, you know, the idea that in every population there must be um, a small proportion, one or two, and who knows why, but they're like, I'm going to go and find somewhere else, particularly toads, as you say, male toads scouting new, new, new areas. I suspect there will be some research in the next few years that really sheds a bit of light onto that and how genuinely a dog's, uh, sorry, dogs, frogs, a bit like dogs, frogs, you know, do have individual variations in uh, how fearful they are or how brave they are or how, in you know, uh, experimental they might be in, you know, their breeding and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I always think of that when you've got a pond, it's being colonised by things like toads or the first newts that come in. You know, these are real characters. And as you know, people see, in fact, you know, Humpy Back, famous Humpy, your Humpy Back is a great example yeah. of a frog that became a character, you know, in your life. Do the listeners need to yes. know about Humpy Back? They do. So Humpy Back um, was a, so years and years and years ago, um, possibly 15 years ago, uh, I was living in a um, a small flat in in central London and um, with a, um, I was living in the basement flat and the garden above the basement flat used to have a pond that got filled in um because they had a small child and um five tiny frogs ended up in the basement um living in the drain of my little basement flat garden so when I moved in I found these frogs living in the drain and then got in touch with Jules because I was very very green at that point didn't really know an awful lot about frogs and toads and um got in touch with Jules and Jules said make them a little pond make them hiding places so I made them a log pile and I made them a leaf pile and I made them a little container pond with a frog ladder going up and every day I would watch them Jules and it was so cute they would they would, this is kind of how I got into frogs I think um was how just just watching them just hop from the drain and go and, and go and hang out in my the little pond I'd made them and the, they, they would always go back to the drain in the evening which was really odd it's like they wouldn't let go of the drain um, and then when I moved house, I took them with me, um, which was only around the corner. I know that's a big no for um, moving amphibians because of potential disease, but it was only around the corner. And um, they wouldn't really have survived in that tiny, in that tiny basement um, flat garden. I mean, it was just a, it was just a tiny yard. Um, so yes, I took these five frogs with me around the corner and, and gave them a new life, and they. They, off they went. They never spawned, um, but um, there were ponds in the area that they that they could have gone to. And one of them was called Humpy Back, and that was because he had quite a prominent crest on his little on his little back. And he used to come in. I used to, you know, if, if I was having a bath or something in the evening and, and had the back door open so I could listen to the birds. Um, sometimes Humpy Back would come in and, and just have a little look around, which was just adorable. <laughs> Oh so I'm 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 Lovely. well I'm well in on frogs having personalities and frogs being braver than others and you know pioneers um very much so but also very the fact that so. there's always something to look at. You know, I made the analogy of a bird feeder, but you know, in the same way, you know, there's there's stuff you can look at in a pond. You know, particularly at this time of year, I just love the idea that oh, it's a at the moment it's you know quite hot and humid out there. I just know there will be frog or frogs keeping cool in the pond. I can just go and stare at them or look at them. And I used to work uh, as as you know, I, I used to work a lot um, in schools and with children and and uh, help schools. Um, design and put in school ponds for dipping um and i just used to just love 
the fact that you could do that. You could say to some kids, come on, let, let's go down to the pond. We're going to have a look. And, you know, they don't necessarily expect to see much. Just like, oh, you, you know, walking down there, just I know that they're going to see a frog or newts. And uh, it's just yeah, sort of, you get a higher hit rate of animals, I think, when you visit a pond compared to, you know, other habitats. But I would say that, of, of course. But no, I really... No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think sort of square, like by the square meter, there's just just a greater diversity of mm. wildlife in a pond, isn't there, than compared to? But even in winter, do you ever pond dip in winter? But you know, it's really nice that in winter, knowing that I often do. Um, I've got two kind of small fish tanks. And in winter, when I'm feeling a little bit low and, and uh, you know, the sun's not shining enough and we're all feeling, you know, a bit seasonally sad, um, uh, I put some of the pond water in the fish tanks um, and then take some of the pond weeds out and sort of put them in these fish tanks. And I keep the fish tanks on my writing table where I sit and work. And it is absolutely lovely because you get to see things like water lice and water shrimps um occasionally you still got boatmen you know back swimmers still swimming around at that time of year sometimes a few water beetles that are spending the whole of the winter in the in the pond occasionally you know you get uh, tadpoles that are you know continuing their growth throughout the winter so occasionally i have those with me not for long but just for like a week or so enough because you also get um i love hydra these little tiny freshwater jellyfish things um so just enough to to have a good ogle at all them and it just i love the fact that you can do that everywhere else you know sadly just seems to sort of go to sleep but you know we can still get that connection with animal life i suppose just just through pond water <laughs> through smelly pond oh, water <laughs> that's such a lovely thing to do i've never done that but i will i will definitely do that especially i think just bringing a bit of summer and life into your home in the darkest days of winter is such a good idea but my partner's always like why don't you just bring some why don't you just have ha- house flower you know house plants and just look after <laughs> just have house plants and, and i'm kind of like no no same. it's not the same it's not the same it's the same sort of uh you know cultivation needed you know sometimes we i do have um pond plants growing in those tanks in the summer um but it's just somehow it's just i don't know it's just cooler <laughs> it's definitely cooler. more otherworldly also, I don't, I don't really think there's much to do with houseplants in winter. I mean, you know, keeping them alive is quite tricky when it gets cold, some of them. But um, yeah, I mean, there's actually nothing more depressing than having watched um, a houseplant thrive and, and grow and, and be wonderful all summer to then just struggle through winter just as you are. So I would, yeah, if you're feeling blue in winter, I, I would definitely go down the mini pond on your desk rather than a houseplant option, 100%. You're, you're a ponding expert. What, what tips can you have for our readers? And is it just for kids, Jules? Um, 100% not just for kids. It's for anyone that want. Well, I suppose the, the argument is, oh, you know, you get to connect to nature and see new stuff. Potentially nowadays, of course, there's so many different recording schemes. Um, uh, I'm really interested in freshwater bugs. So these are the beetle-like creatures that have these long sort of syringes almost sticking out their faces. So, yeah, partly to understand what's there, partly to connect with nature. Um, I think for me, it's like sort of seeing new stuff as well. And a little bit like I get the same feeling if I hear a, I heard a cuckoo the other day. We just don't get them. I mean, the East Midlands, we just don't really get them around here. And that, that amazing, like, whoa, cuckoo feeling. I get the same feeling, you know, if I'm pond dipping and then I might see a, you know, really nice dragonfly larvae or something like that. It's really, really exciting. So the equipment that you need, I, I 
tend to go I used to I still have my big frog life net so it's a you know it's a one and a half meter really sturdy wooden pole um I don't really use that as much anymore partly because I mean it's good for large ponds uh, it's good for lake dipping as well but I I find that I I just I'm not dexterous enough not to just trash all the pond plants basically so I have a slightly uh, smaller one that's basically uh, you know a, a fish keepers a kind of aquarium net uh, and I use that and it's got a really the holes in it are really really small so the gauze is really small fine and it means I can just hoover up you know some of the really smaller um, water fleas and stuff like that and copepods and even um, so yeah it's just a, a bit of a swish with that figure of eight most people do I tend to go near one of the mistakes well not mistakes but one of the things you often see uh, with newbie pond dippers is that they go to a pond and often you know if it's a uh you know a, a large wildlife pond in a nature reserve for instance there might be um you know a nice boardwalk or something like that and they go up confidently to the boardwalk or the pond dipping platform and they just smash the net in the deep water and they're <laughs> whirling it around in the water and I'm like that's basically the equivalent of going to the middle of the ocean op- the o- the open ocean and just you know having a net around there like it's such a a sort of bleak empty part of the pond so for me, I always tend to go for when you've got, I mean, your pond's a great example of this, where you've got loads of grasses around the outskirts and the grasses are draping into the water. Um, there is, uh, uh, it's a kind of e- mini ecosystem in itself. There's a lot of architecture going on there, a lot of, you know, leaves, a lot of intercross branches. Um, and it's within those kind of places that you tend to find most um, invertebrate action, so to speak. I also like to, but water lilies are quite good if you, you've got to be careful obviously not to get the stems, but if you're sort of whooshing gently past underneath the leaves, a lot of animals are seeking shelter, you know, in, the, in especially in the hot sun, a sort of kind of parasol for them to hide underneath. So that can also be really, really good. So yeah, normally edges, it's a little bit like the ocean, you know, most of the life is kind of on the coasts, if you like, and the coral reefs, and then the open expanse in the middle, not as much going on. So um yeah, that tends tends to be where yeah I would say the best stuff is is located, and the other trick I mean the other trick we don't really do it enough is just sitting really still by the pond edge and just kind of turning off your brain and letting your eyes do the work. So you know it's amazing how how you know our eyes will just latch on to movement, and so that's often the nicest way to spot things like dragonflies or damselflies. Um, especially as they're coming in for egg laying, but also the sort of plip you get, you get this sort of like plip, you know, and where a newt comes up and has a breath of fresh air and then dives back underneath the water. Um, yeah, so listening to sounds and looking, letting your eyes to kind of do the work can be really, really good stuff for for pond dipping as well. So the net is like one aspect of it, I would say. We tend to focus on the net as like the number one thing, but actually it's a kind of range of senses, I suppose, that that we're using with pond dipping. Mm, I haven't talked about pond dipping in absolutely ages. I, I I haven't pond dipped really anything apart from my own pond for ages, and I'd say, I would say since uh, since the curse of lockdown that we all had to endure, that was a part of it. I really missed actually being on the road and, as I said, working with schools and things like that. So so yeah, hopefully um, through 
my book and through your book, we're hopefully getting more people to put in ponds and um, and teachers as well. I, ha- I often hear from teachers who, who say how happy they are to have information like that and then just get digging ponds themselves. So I'm sure there are people digging and uh, and pond dipping kind of in our honour. And uh, I, yeah, I'd love to love to see them. <laughs> when I pond dip, I, um, I haven't done one this year, actually. I will do one. I think I need to get rid of my, I need to sort out my duckweed. And then I will, and then I'll do my pond dip. But um, I use a white tray. I've got these lovely white trays, quite deep, and I sort of put a bit of water in, and then I empty the net in, and I have a look around, and then any big predators, I put them. I've got two white trays actually. I separate them and put them in the other white tray. So I've got predators in one and prey in the other, so they don't eat each other while I'm gawping at them. Um, and then I gawp at them, and then I put them back quite quickly. Um, because they're not happy, are they? They like they. I've got loads and loads and loads in my pond of um, not a nectar. The um, back swimmers, loads of them, and they they breed every year. So I must have loads of other things to eat because you wouldn't. You'd think there was too many for that size pond, but they absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, whenever I pull out not a nectar into the white trays they always try and hide under bits of pond weeds and I feel really bad <laughs> they are really cool animals aren't they they're really really awesome and in fact that when you I love that stage when you suddenly get all the babies don't you and they look like little miniature almost like little, little tiny paper clips you know they're long sort of they do they're so <laughs> they cute. do look like little and they they clips. love mosquito larvae as well don't they you often see them hunting just some of the smaller sort of fly larvae in the pond um but no they're lovely they're cool they're cool they're really cool i love how silvery they are i but this is what i always say is um i'm very prone to mosquito bites but i haven't been bitten by a mosquito in my garden since i dug the pond um and even though there's loads of mosquito larvae in the pond i think because of the number of 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 back swimmers that there are to eat them and other things obviously you know dragonfly larvae and whatever i'm just not getting bitten like and, you know, I'll get bats coming in and I've just obviously got an ecosystem that's managing itself and they're not biting me, which is lovely. Yeah, that is great. It's and that's brilliant. one of the popular questions that we get asked, don't we, about ponds is about, you know, the threat of mosquitoes. I was just going to say one of the best bits of because we used to get um, a few. Um, yeah, my, my partner's quite sensitive to being bitten. And um, we used to get not much, but she might. If we were sitting in the garden, you know, on a summer evening, she might get one or two bites. And uh, we made a change. Um, we had a shed around the corner, about uh, ten meters, yeah, ten meters away from the pond, and um, an area of the you know the backyard, which is basically old plant pots and stuff like that, and sort of sheltered area, just full of trash basically, and. Um, uh, a mosquito scientist said to me, um, you know, don't forget that mosquitoes, when they hatch out of the ponds, they, they need to rest for sometimes days, particularly the females, to get, invest enough energy and in getting their, you know, the, getting the gonads working, essentially, um, you know, raising up eggs and sperm. And it's quite, it takes a lot of energy for, for many insects. So they have to just basically sit there and just warm up. Um, and he, he was like, you know what, I would check out, you know, the, the, the quiet shaded areas of your garden, which are really peaceful. And you'll notice most of them are hiding in there. So I did that. And there was, there was genuinely about 200 mosquitoes there. And so I've taken that away now, removed it. 
and we don't really have the problem anymore. So it's not that the, the popular idea is, and I used to think this as well, it's like, you've got your pond, the mosquitoes come out and they're like, whoa, let's get feeding. <laughs> but as you say, <laughs> as you say, they need to, um, you know, they need to rest. But also, as you said, you know, bats, 50% of them are, you know, they're, they're, they're bat food, you know, and that's really, really important. Um, and we're kind of lucky in this part of the world, aren't we? Because, um, you know, I've spoken to pond dippers in America and uh, and all over the place, and they're like, "You, you what? You encourage people to have garden ponds? You know, this is crazy. There's going to be mosquitoes breeding there, and that's a real threat, obviously, through all sorts yeah. of diseases. They can so, kill you. Yeah, they think we're mad. They think it's a British, one of those weird British sort of uh, idiosyncrasies. But um, we're lucky at the moment, and obviously, you know, we, there are many scientists monitoring the spread of many of these kind of horrible diseases that mosquitoes or some mosquitoes can sadly pass on but at the moment we're we're lucky enough to be able to have you know and encourage people to put uh, water features in their gardens because you know we know what a benefit it makes to to frogs to toads to newts and to you know so many other things and i think the larger the ponds the more of an ecosystem you get isn't it so you know if you have lots of people say you should put a you know washing up bowl in the garden and you'll get lots of things breeding in it you tend to only really get mosquitoes, don't you, in, in something as small as a washing up bowl? Yeah, it's it's all about... I, I did a project um, a few years ago uh, on that. I had a container, you know, a sink basically in the garden and watching what, what colonises it. And uh, you're absolutely right, you know, an empty bucket or if you've got a plant pot that's been left to fill in with rainwater, that is what mosquitoes specialise in. You know, the, you know, like, I don't know what the word is, but on tree branches, when you have that kind of armpit, <laughs> that tree pit. The rot hole. The rot hole, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, 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 you know, that's one of the things that mosquitoes would look for in the wild, if you like, so to speak. Um, so anything that um, replicates that, then mosquitoes are really into. You know, for them, it's like, you know, it's a great place because there's not the predators there trying to, to feed on them so yeah no absolutely right mosquitoes love non-complexity boring open water basically that's what they like so a bucket empty bucket is perfect for mosquitoes whereas if you get more complex then you bring in their predators as well so you create more of a balance um so i think the bigger you get and the more shallows you put in and the more plants you put in you get all these little niches all these little little ecosystems and then you've got you know the the things that eat the mosquito larvae um and I guess what I'm saying is the bigger the pond, the better, really, in terms of balancing it all out. Yeah, yeah. The bigger the pond, the the more shallows, the more sh- shaded shallows, the more exposed shallows, the more grasses, the more lilies. You know, it's, it's, it's the complexity, as you said, you know, that is absolutely sort of vital here and that's partly because the predators when they're moving into a pond you know it's not really in their interest for a a water beetle flying over our gardens at night sees you know an empty bucket and it's like oh hello that's great might be some mosquitoes in there actually that's not a great place for a water beetle because obviously um, other animals particularly birds can easily spot them in the water hunting so they're looking they're looking out for their own hides you know so to speak um, so yeah, the, the more hiding places, the better, definitely. And I would say if there's one thing that always, one bit of advice that always, always holds true with ponds, it is, it is that complexity is king. Someone was saying, um, imagine you invented a, uh, um, a new you know, sport and that sport was you have to run 
from a starting line, I don't know, 300 meters to a finishing line. Okay, so that's how it starts. And then imagine if you added a few little uh, hurdles there. You know, you had 10 runners doing this 300 meter dash and they've got to come up with one strategy how to jump over the things. And then if imagine if you add, uh, I don't know, some buildings in the way or some bushes or you added some shortcuts and you carried on adding complexity to that sprint. By the end, you would have uh, 100 different sprinters doing 100 different strategies you know so it's kind of similar really i'd say with 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 ponds in fact most habitats including coral reefs is when you've got these big 3d habitats that go up down left and right um you know you're basically making even more kind of solutions for survival so there's more potential as you said the niches you know increase and you know you end up with more um with more life there but going back to what you said about um you know a simple uh um washing up bowl for instance you know the way you could make that more complex is obviously through the addition of um large cobbles um you know plants uh you know the you get these um uh, hessian sack kind of material that, that's really good because you can plant that with aquatic soil and it doesn't leak out all over the water so you know planting along the edges there i used to put um i used to take moss from our gutters and put it around the edge of the <laughs> uh, edge of the bowl and again that's a really as we know moss is an amazing sort of mini ecosystem and so padding around the edges with moss and so there are ways to make something that looks quite simple into a bit of a kind of mini jungle i suppose yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, I think putting moss around it, that's genius. Mm. That's inspired. And obviously the log piles, we always talk about log piles, don't we? You must, you must talk about log piles about 20 times a day. <laughs> but, you know, like there's a reason for that, right? And that's just because it's such a little great sort of hiding spot for a lot of things, I guess. Yeah. So I've got my pond and then, because it's a very small garden, I've got my log pile under my bench, mm, which is nice. a space-saving, a space-saving habitat uh, for wildlife um and then also sort of i've got my compost heaps it's an open compost heap um and so i've got um my shed and then the garden wall and, and the gap in between the shed and the garden wall is just pure compost heap it's where i just chuck everything um but it means that i can't get in there foxes can't get in there cats can't get in there the dog can't get in there it's only for the hedgehogs and the frogs and all of the insects that live in there all the beetles and things and um and I see every night, it's so cute, the frogs leave the pond. And sometimes when it's very dry, I see their little their little um, uh, drippy, drippy shadows yeah. <laughs> from where they've jumped out of the pond. And they just and they just go sort of two by two into the compost heap and they just go and sleep there at night. It's so cute. Do you think they spend winter there as well? Or are they, I guess for you, they're often spending winter in the pond, are they? Almost certainly there's uh, lots of, lots of, um, frog activity in the in the compost heap. I, I think, yeah, some of them do spend winter in the pond. I've never I've never investigated the pond actually in winter. Um, I feel like if I dug up a frog, I'd be I'd be quite I'd be quite um, embarrassed and, and apologetic <laughs> to it if I if I if I scooped one out of the net. Um, but yeah, undoubtedly there will be there will be frogs at the bottom of the pond. Um, but yeah, this the compost heap is just it's just marvellous. And so and they climb up as well. It's quite tall. Um and they'll 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 climb up to the top. And I think they actually use it as a frog ladder, a very tall frog ladder to climb over the wall into next door's garden, because next door keep finding frogs in their garden. And until very recently, when I dug a, a new when I knocked a hole through the wall as a hedgehog hole, which obviously the frogs and toads will use as well, um, the only way to get into their garden was to climb the wall. 
So they were using my big compost heap to get into next door's garden, which is quite cute. There's a serious element here, of course, isn't there? And that's the fact that ponds are declining, both in um, quality and quantity. And I think is it is in some parts of Europe, ninety seven percent of ponds have been damaged or destroyed. Yeah, and similar so, figures for the UK as well. It's not just that ponds get removed, is it? It's that you know the quality, the water quality of the ponds that remain, obviously, is not secured really. Um, and it is it is really sad that this was a this was a this was once a sort of wetland country really, um, and we've we've lost lost so many of those but this is why the, the positive side is the garden pond movement and it really is a movement i think you know I, the fact that other countries are looking at us and saying what they're putting ponds in their gardens that's a crazy thing to do whereas actually over here it's a really established thing that we do um and you know if that continues and i also think that the the, the spring watch the service that tv programs like spring watch have done and gardeners world in terms of um kind of nudging people a lot to say this incredible habitat is beautiful but it's also vital for you know the animals that we want to um draw into our gardens and provide a sort of mini nature reserve for like my my ultimate dream and i know it's exactly the same as yours is that um the uk's cities become a kind of replacement for what we lost so i know that we can't go out there and we we can't uh, necessarily influence farmers and completely change you know what they're growing and say that you need a pond in every field that's not realistic right now hopefully one day but what we can do is say okay well in our gardens that's a space where we can really contribute to um local wildlife and you know like you, you know, we've, the message is quite clear that, you know, one of the best things you can do for wildlife is to add a pond into your garden or your backyard space. Fairly cheap, can be quite cheap to do. Um, doesn't necessarily require like a landscape gardener or a hydrologist or anything like that. You know, even small ponds can make a difference. And, you, you know, you can see the impact that that pond has in the fact that your neighbours will start saying, in your case and my case, oh, wow, I saw one of your frogs in my garden. Or, you know, you have that. We, I've had it twice in 12 years we've lived here where I've just stumbled upon a great crested newt in the garden. And yeah, and I don't, I mean, obviously breeding somewhere within perhaps if perhaps even 300 meters away i don't know where the exact pond is that they're breeding but you know again you've got little rogue visitor there scoping out my garden and it's a massive privilege but i know if i had a bigger pond in my garden i could create another little satellite pond for that population of great crested newts and help um secure a kind of survival space for for those um amphibians so yeah i mean that's that's like the that would be the ultimate dream is that you know our cities are um uh an oasis for the landscape that we lost thousands of years before you know and i don't see why they can't be and the big one is um obviously it's such a big thing you've talked about and you've taught me loads about it as well but the idea of connectivity particularly you know all of the messages we hear about hedgehogs how they actually apply to amphibians you know in exactly the same way really so that's the kind of that's the kind of dream and i do you know as i said i I feel like um that we know a lot more about uh the value of ponds now in gardens than we used to so we've making some steps and i i actually feel kind of hopeful about that um how about you do you do you share my 
Um, I I do on a good day. Yeah, on a good day I share hope, and then on a bad day it's you know dark times. Um, I think it's the fact that knowing that we can do it is what keeps me going, and whether we will or not is you know gets me down on the dark days. But yeah, the fact that we can and that you know, and it's not just gardens as well; it's parks. You know, I have been in touch with my council and tried to ask if we can have a pond in every park, um, and you know. Things like that would just be incredible. One of the one of the things that I have done in the last three years, I'm really proud of this. So watch out, okay? Um, it's embarrassing how proud I am of this. Um, I so I live in a sort of countryside village, you know, um, and it's not a big village. Uh, and a couple of years ago, someone said, "How many frogs?" Uh, spawn in our village and I was like I actually don't know the answer to that so I went around I have like a certain roots you know with a dog and I walk past ponds and see how much is in there and I started logging um uh yeah three years ago um where the frogs are spawning and you know and uh asking people in the village to let me know if they'd seen any frog spawn and that first year was great because it was like whoa 77 blobs of frog spawn in our village that's really cool and then you can map them and you realize that actually a lot of them are actually um there's a stream that runs through the village and like 90 percent of them are actually in the stream and the following year we had quite a lot of heavy rain an incredible storm i don't know if you remember that was two years ago lots of stormy weather um and it basically swept nearly all the frog spawn out of the village i don't know where it went downstream somewhere um but you realize for that year oh my goodness me you know that's a terrible year for for the frogs around here you know the recruitment of new tadpoles and baby frogs would have just basically just disappeared pretty much that year um but the other pattern that so so pattern number one is you realize that actually there's there's a real cycle to frog populations. I hadn't really appreciated that properly before. Weather dependent cycles for a lot of frogs. Um, but the other thing that was really fascinating looking at the map is like is kind of oh that's interesting. There's a road that goes through the middle of the village, south part of the village near the stream. That's where all the frogs are spawning. And then the north side of the village, there's one blob and it's my lowly pond, which has that blob. And so this year I was like, I could go, oh, okay, let's try and see if we could get the numbers in the northern side of the village, get those numbers up and see whether or not we can um, improve the frog population in the village kind of that way. And it's been really, I can't wait to become one of these old old people in the village is like, I've been looking at frogs for 55 years and I've seen them come, I've seen them go. But, you know, like that's what I, I, I think, I think I'd feel really, really proud of um, the impact that I have made if we do get the numbers of frogs in the north side of the village the same as the south. So that is an example of like such a small win, right? My impact on the universe is that's pathetic, really, in the grand scheme of things. No, but, but it's not. Yeah, I feel it's like, amazing. yeah, I, but I feel like that's a that's a, a really a really good use of my effort as someone who loves local my local wildlife, and it's same for so many of your listeners. It's the same for you as well. Is we probably it's really it's really easy to sort of downplay those kind of impacts but it's that's absolutely amazing you know because with obviously those new ponds and the new frogs in the the other side of the village obviously th there's so many other invertebrates that are going to be benefited by my doing that so in terms of my use of energy i suppose yeah i mean i definitely definitely give myself so much guilt about what i'm not achieving and there is so many political upheavals going on all the time and it's really easy to to feel 
powerless. But I suppose what I'm saying is by doing that, I've grabbed onto a little bit of power and made a little bit of difference, but it's a difference that is a, that can be monitored and it's scientifically got value. And I've got what, I don't know, if I'm, if I'm lucky, maybe 40 years to recruit a youngling, <laughs> a youngling from the village, maybe from the south side of the village, a youngling who can take on my wonderful research. But, you know, it would be, it's, it's, that is kind of exciting to me. I don't know if that's just me getting old, but I, I feel like if we all took on a, a private project, I'm, I'm, if we all took on a sort of pri- private project that we felt quietly inspired by, I think we could all make, you know, even more impact than what we're doing right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing about wildlife gardening that I love is that, you know, whatever is going on in the world, and there is a lot of stuff that is just so awful and that we can't control. Wildlife gardening is all about the power of the individual. You can plant that tree and the birds will sit in it. You can dig that pond and the frogs will come. You can have an impact and you see that impact almost straight away. You know, you plant flowers and you get bees coming in. It's it's amazing. And so that gives us strength. And you can do that as an individual. But then if you work together with your neighbours or your community, you can do amazing things. You can get frogs to the north side of the village. <laughs> you can get... You can put, you can get great crusted news if you've not got a neighbour who's got a bigger garden who could dig you a nice satellite pond. I mean, yeah. you know. But I think that's... the thing I've, I'm kind of realising as well is I'm not, um, although I, um, as you know, I'm, I, I like, I love talking. Oh my gosh, I love talking. I can't shut up. I'm actually kind of shy, actually, with, with most people and like, a little bit awkward and stuff like that. And so the idea of joining a committee or something like that actually does scare me a little bit. And um, perhaps, perhaps, uh, this will change in in time, but I definitely feel a bit like, oh no, no, I I I don't necessarily want to be involved in like a big group of people, and lots of people do amazing things like that. So I'm definitely not saying that isn't important. It's really important, but there's many people I suspect like me who want to make a quiet impact because that's where they they feel like they can maintain their enthusiasm and motivation for a project like this. It is nice to just do your own little thing and go about quietly, um, and that's probably why I've not managed to introduce myself to the neighbours with the toad ponds even though they're four doors down it is still all about the power of the individual we can all do little things um and it is it is wonderful to to make that difference and to see to see the wildlife coming in and talking of wildlife Jules what is your favorite pond creature and why (laughs) um oh well uh, yeah, obviously the obvious answer is uh, frog, because you can guarantee, fairly certain anyway, you can kind of guarantee a sighting. So they always deliver. Frogs always deliver. Um, and then you've got the kind of amazingly accessible life cycle and the joy of spring. You know, the fact that it's such a beautiful marker of um, uh, the end of the you know the dark days of, of winter. So frogs going to be really hard to beat. I'm not going to say uh, toads would be in there too, but I just don't ever really get them in our garden, which is a bit sad. Occasionally, I might see one, you know, cross the road nearby, but no, not going to have toads. Um, I have always loved water spiders. So, yeah, and I haven't seen one for a couple of years, but I used to go to um, a couple of ponds near Peterborough and just spend 
hours watching them. And in fact, when I was younger, I tried to keep some in tanks and see whether they would start uh, producing their underwater webs. And it, it happened a couple of times. Um, but they're amazing. I mean, what, 52,000 species of spider. It's the only spider in the world that makes its web underwater, that oxygenates its web, that, um, uh, you know, creates this the dive, wonderful diving bell under the water and, you know, keeps its nursery there. Absolutely. And it also really velvety and just so beautiful. And it lives in the UK. Mm, yeah, it used to be widespread. It's now just split up into into little pockets, really. But you know, this incredible—it's amazing to think this animal had spread from pond to pond as well. They're very disorganized when they cross when they're walking on land they don't really look like they belong so the idea that you know ancestrally after the last ice age that all of these water spiders bit by bit by bit have been colonizing new ponds and making their way across england and wales i just love that but um so that oh wow when i'm talking about that i'm like yeah that's a good one that's a good one love water stick insects again really really patchily distributed but they're um, related to back swimmers and you know boatmen um but they stay really still also like water scorpions we've got a lot of those in the in 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 nearby to us never had them in our pond water scorpions are the ones that look like um they almost look like shield bugs that have got a long pointy um snorkel that comes out of their bottom so that they can breathe i don't think i've ever seen a water scorpion or a water stick insect yeah they're really 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 uh, quite patchily distributed so oh sorry i'm going on a bit here so oh such a such a selection i also love oh i mentioned hydra hydra are kind of cool because they're so easy to overlook but these sort of freshwater anemone like animals really beautiful and uh in fact i'm the reason they're in my head is because i've been writing about unrelated project but writing about their stem cells and so that they have loads of stem cells so if something snaps off they can just make a new type of cell and just grow a whole new body and they're they're one of those immortal animals um that don't seem to follow the evolutionary rules of other animals so yeah i like them i like animals that are really easy to overlook that are there and they're beautiful and you can see them just by getting a bit of pond water and chucking it in a jam jar and leaving it for a couple of weeks so that's i think i'm gonna go hydra you're gonna go hydra mm. that's wow okay <laughs> what's cool. yours what's yours <gasps> it's a really hard question isn't it it's a bit like saying it is who's i'm your sorry i should have asked you <laughs> <laughs> go on go My on dog. yeah <laughs> Um, I think it is the toad at the moment because, um, I know this sounds awful, but I take the frogs in my garden for granted. Like I've got frogs and I love the frogs and the frogs, it's like what you were saying about winter, the end of winter, the beginning of spring. Like I mark spring by the frog spawning. I get so excited and I do little countdowns, you know, my Twitter, my silly Twitter countdown. Um, I didn't do it this year because I was so freaked out because they started getting into Amplexus in January. Um, but anyway, that's another that's another um, story for another day. But um, yeah, I love the frogs um, and I've got a lot of frogs. But the idea, the suggestion that toads might breed in my pond is just so mega to me. And they didn't this year. But I had some young males squeaking. And if I can just have some young males squeaking and then one day a female thinks, do you know what? I'm going to go and breed in Kate's Pond. I would just, I would just die of excitement. It would just be, because I know all wildlife 
is declining and and frogs are locally declining in lots of areas and stuff but frog numbers here seem to be quite good whereas you know we we read about the statistics of of toad declines I think it's 67 percent in the last 40 years or something like that and just the idea that I've dug this pond and it's three years old and potentially I might get toads breeding in it it just makes me brim with pride it's just it's just so exciting <laughs> that I've actually potentially just done my little small bits to turn their population around so I'm gonna to say toad because I'm just I just live in hope that the female will turn up and make all that squeaking worthwhile <laughs> I love it thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast so if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app And we'll see you next time.